Welcome to Resilience Rock Sales, your front row seat to rocking your sales game. I'm your host, Stacey Kopas. Today's episode is brought to you by the Academy of Resilience Inner Circle. For more information, head to academyofresilience.com.au. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Resilience Rocks Sales. Today, I am joined with my good friend, Craig Schulz, who has an amazing story of resilience on so many aspects of his life and business and so much that can share with us around sales as well. So I'm super excited to introduce you to Craig Schulz. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Stacey. I'm looking forward to the conversation. We always have great conversations and this will be another one, no doubt. Excellent. And I've had the pleasure of being on your podcast, which is a, which is a fantastic conversation as well. And it's nice to be able to turn the tables on you this time and, and put you in the hot seat. To get started, what I'd really love is, um, could you just share just a little bit about the, the Craig Schulz story with us? Yeah, look, I mean, um, my story is quite interesting. Um, I grew up on the west coast of Tasmania and left home when I was 15. And I always say wasn't because I wasn't loved. It was just because there was no opportunity, a small mining town. I left there. Uh, so 15 years of age, I put myself through school, university. Um, and when I was 21, I'd become an engineer, but I wasn't satisfied in life and business. I mean, life and my career and didn't like the idea of trading time for money. So I walked away from an engineering role, uh, and started my own fitness business. And I spent 15 years in that industry. Uh, moved to South Australia. Um, and I say along that journey, I was homeless twice because I literally packed up my bags and moved uh, from Queenstown, Tasmania to Hobart with nowhere to go. So I was just getting the car, drive there, working out later. I did the same when I moved to South Australia. I had a car full of clothes and bag and, and moved there. And, and, and just when I got there, I worked it out. And um, I spent a lot of time in that industry. I didn't know anything about business, but where I lacked in business skills, life skills, I made up for the will to do whatever it takes to succeed. And uh, when it's putting food on the table, that's uh, a pretty big reason. And um, three years into my business career there, I was South Australia's fitness professional of the year. So really my big first home run. And that opened up a huge opportunity. And that was to expand a brand from South Australia into Melbourne. And I did that and um, I started investing in property, uh, moved to Melbourne. I opened up 22 fitness franchises. I owned five myself and um, everything I was doing at the time was really like, it was touching gold really. And um, the global financial crisis come through and nearly wiped me out. So that was nearly, that was an 18 month journey of what I say I was living off um, egg sandwiches for about 18 months just to get by because I just didn't have the cash flow and banks stopped lending money. And, um, I was just playing the game right on the edge, massive risk taker. And I got through that, but I said at that time, and you can ask questions about each part of this journey, but, uh, that time I said, I'll never be in this position again. Then for the next 10 years, I built an e-commerce business into a hundred years. And I say my biggest challenge in life was, um, in 2014, it was really um, business and life had really got back on track. I just, uh, had my first real big seven figure income year and, um, my wife and I were ready to have a child and, um, we walk into the hospital and it was, just, uh, they said there was no heartbeat and it was a stillborn. And that really turned my whole philosophy on life and perspective on life into a different direction. And 
I wanted to leave a message to the world about the one shot at life and wrote a book and had a podcast, which you've been on it because you've done that. And, and then, yeah, I've got business all around the world. I'm an investor, invested in property, um, speak all over the world and yeah, just really out there empowering people to make the most of their one shot at life. So that's sort of, yeah, 23 years, 25 years in a bit of a nutshell. Yeah. But my goodness, there's, there's so much that you've done. And I love that, as you said, you just packed up a car and went. And because so often people don't even have a crack at something because they don't have the detailed 10-year plan, so they don't even take the first step. And you didn't even know what, you know, really, you, all you knew was that first step. And it was like, I'll take it. And then Yeah, look, I mean, just on that point, I always, I burnt the boats, you know, the philosophy you've burnt the boats and there's just no turning back but when I'm giving people guidance and advice I actually probably say make sure that you can put food on the table before you take the big leap forward because I know my let's call it resilience and my desires and my ability to do whatever it takes to have success but a lot of people comfort is a really important thing for them so when I'm giving people you know, you want to live life on your terms or you want to get ahead in life. I say, you know, starting a side hustle can be a great way to earn extra cash flow, but don't go all in on all in until you're, you know, you're comfortable in doing that. So yeah, I've burnt my boats a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I can relate because I, I've done the same a couple of times as well. And so often people will ask you, so how did you, you probably have a similar, you know, how did you write, how did you publish a book and how did you get these speaking gigs and how did you do all that? And how did you, you know, do your business like that? And I'm just like, okay, this is how I did it, but I don't advise. I don't advise it either because I did similar. It's like I picked a date to leave my job and, and you know, the intention was to be in a financial thing, but I was so wedded to that date that I wasn't in a position financially, but you know, you work your tail off to make it work. But I think, as you said, having a side hustle having um, a plan to do things in parallel in, until you're in such place where I guess it's like you don't wait until you're very ready because then you'll never actually do it. But if you I, I sort of got enough of a security or cash flow in that, in that side hustle in order to then make that leap, then it's a much smarter way to do it and it can save people a hell of a lot of stress in the process as well, can't it? The system's not in your favor if you're if you think you're going to get ahead just trading time for money for the forty year plan. It's you know it's the typical paradigm that we're all brought up on is go and get a good education, then good get a good job, then you know find your life partner, then you buy your first your home, you know the big Australian dream, the home, and then start a family, and then by the time you get to your forties and fifties, have a few investments, and this is the story that we're told. Um, but you know, I always say to people, learn how to leverage your money, learn how to make money on money and recession proof yourself. And after the global financial crisis period where I nearly lost everything, I was prepared, not so much for the lockdowns of the last, you know, the, let's call it the COVID era. Um, but I was in a position where I had choices and if I had my fitness clubs during that business, it would have been a complete wipeout with 300 days of lockdown in Melbourne, but I was in a position with choices and it was all around, you know, not believing in the philosophy of trading time for money. Uh, and um, that's probably one of the biggest things that have sort of put me in good stead 
along my journey. So speaking of that, can you just tell share a little bit more about what was that process, obviously, with the, the GFC and the impact that it had? And it, you, know, you sort of shared about the 18 months of egg sandwiches and things like that. But what were the key things that you did to ensure that you weren't going to be in that position again? Hmm. Well, I think the biggest lesson I learned, I, I started my first business in 2002 and um, I was just building a business and, and there wasn't any economic downturn. So the GFC was really my first experience of like, you know, a dot-com bubble or a tech crash or whatever that happened along prior to 2002. So I was just making money and I had a mentor who said, Craig, you know, I want to teach you how to invest in property. So I'd started buying properties, building business for cash flow, investing in properties. And I'm going, gee, this is a bit of an easy game. So I was a bit of a, too much of a risk taker. So when there was new franchises available, I was investing in those franchises. And then when the global financial crisis hit, there was two or three things that happened that really just put me in all sorts of trouble. So my risk management profile was really non-existent. I just uh, thought more businesses, more cash flow, more property. It just made sense to me. So experience is probably something that I learned from pretty, learned the hard way, unfortunately. But what happened in the GFC? The bank stopped lending money. Um, so when I was going out to sell franchises, the potential franchisee couldn't get the finance to buy the business. So I had franchises I couldn't sell because of that scenario. Not only that, banks stopped lending money for the fit outs for the franchises. So I just uh, signed two contracts where the banks um, basically wouldn't fund them. And I had to use all the equity, all the, everything on my property. So I put absolutely everything on the market uh, on there just to fund the fit outs of those two businesses. Then the, there was a US dollar change and I had equipment coming in from America. So all of a sudden, I went from paying, say, 75 cents in the dollar to 55 cents in the dollars. So my equipment costs went up like $100,000 overnight. And then because gyms during tough economic times, they're considered luxury or discretionary type of items. People were saying to me, Craig, I love you. You've been my trainer for a long time, but we're, we're tightening our belts. And so those four things, if I had one more thing, I was uh, probably would have been easier for me to shut the doors and everything and just saying start again. But I said, look, I'm going to just work hard and do whatever it takes to keep it going. So I, I felt like I was working for nothing for, for like 18 months. I just had enough to pay my own mortgage, get by with food and live very, very, very on a tight road. Um, but I, while I was going through that, I started a bit of a side hustle and um, I just said to myself, lesson I learned here was I've got to manage risk more and look and, and bounce ideas off people um, a little bit more. So sort of add more dimension. So I couldn't just in case there was something that I wasn't seeing. So every business decision, every property investment, every investment I've made in private companies since then, I've had it nearly cross-examined by more than just my eyes. And again, that's just through experience of going through that tough times and and actually feeling it, when I'm talking about it, I actually go, oh, I'm getting cold shivers going, you know, that was just a horrible time because I, not only I, I was in a position where I started having choices for life, I lost my identity 
during that time. I went from, a, a, you know, what I classified as a successful businessman, entrepreneur, having choices in life to basically only just being able to put food on the table. And that's, that was just another crushing experience in its own right. Just when you were describing all of those things, I could feel the physical stress in my body. Like as you, and it's just like, and it's this and then this and then this. And it's like, you sort of feel your chest tighten a little bit. And it's like, my gosh, to have had all of those hit at the same time. But I think more than anything, the fact that you didn't take the easy way out because obviously the easiest way out would have just been, look, I can't bankrupt. But the fact that you, you worked your way out of it. And I, like, I really admire that you had the commitment to do that and the things that you learned about, especially you know, having, having the outside eyes and bringing people around. Cause I think it sounds like from what you were describing, having that little bit of that Midas touch that you kind of you sort of think, oh, well, it's all going to work, isn't it? And not having to not even considering that there was a possibility that something could go wrong with it, but having the people around you. And that's one of my keys around resilience is having that support and making sure that you, you've got those good people around you that are going to support and encourage you, but also be able to have those outside eyes and the wise counsel and the experience to actually sometimes shine a light to go, hang on, you know, I think you're too close. You're not seeing this. And as you said, particularly from a risk perspective, being able to have those people around you is like, it's a huge part of resilience. Yeah, look, and I mean, I, uh, I have run my eyes, a, a few business decisions I have made. And one of them was actually 2019. I bought about 30% of a plant-based food company. It was a bit of a startup company. And I did run that by a lot of eyes. And I actually, you know, my accountant said to me, look, this is risky. It's a throw at the stumps. It's not going to send you bankrupt, but you know, it's probably worth, worth the risk for the upside of it. But, you know, let's just consider it as money lost <laughs> type of thing. And, and, and my mentor told me that as well. He goes, oh, Sounds great in theory, but there's a long way to go. So I just don't think there's enough capital to do what needs to be done here. And and ironically, the COVID scenario happened, which pretty put that on the skids anyway. But there are times I have gone against good counsel and uh, it hasn't paid off. But most most times, you know, that uh, getting other people to the outside eyes to have a look at what you what just in case there's something a blind spot that you can't see, what they might be able to. Yeah, super helpful. But and again, as you said, trusting yourself at the end of it, but also taking that ownership, isn't it? Knowing that, okay, I've had this advice. And, and if they've said, look, you know, pretty much it's again, like, sounds like it's a gamble, really, wasn't it? And if you're prepared to lose that on, on the, on the chance of the up, upside, but at least you weren't going into it going, oh yeah, this is a sure thing. And, and then getting burnt and feeling, ending up worse off in the process. But I think it's, yeah, it's helpful to have that. And as far as going back to the way you got yourself out of those challenges in the GFC, like obviously sales would have, you know, your sales skills and abilities would have played a huge part in that. So what were the sort of, what were some of the things that you perhaps did differently from a sales perspective in order to get through that, that place? Well, I think just to give you a bit of an idea, I, I actually had to go back into the business and like cut costs is one of the first things I actually did. It wasn't something I wanted to do because I'd spent the first six years of the getting yourself out of your business. And I just said, I know when I'm in the businesses, they always perform. So I've just got to be in there watching the nuts and bolts. So my day was just 
harrowing in terms of a time. I was getting up at five o'clock in the morning, opening the gym at six in the morning, getting home at seven thirty, eight o'clock at night. And then I'd started selling nutritional supplements as well. And I was doing that outside of the gym hours. So I was actually you know, getting home, I was eating food and then I was on the phone till probably 10 o'clock at night. And that was on repeat for three years, not just the 18 months. I got myself into a, a position after 18 months where, you know, things were looking okay again. And I got myself out of the business for a day or two a week, but it was three years where it was like 5am in the morning, 10pm at night, you know, and, and, and repeat for a long period of time. But I think it was, um, really the, I guess, from a sales perspective, I'm not sure that I was doing anything differently. Like my business was, um, you know, we had a really good high quality product. Uh, people were, uh, at, during the GFC, they were a bit more cautious with their money. So it was really just showing the value. Our business was very, uh, heavily built on a referral platform where, you know, people loved what we were delivering and they would just invite people. So I probably wasn't spending the, the money on marketing. I, I may, uh, if I had my time again, I probably would have invested in more people. Um, as a, a lot of people say, when people are tightening their belts in marketing, it's often a good time for you to spend more on marketing. So I could have probably invested a bit more there, but um, I had a really good rock solid, what I call active referral program. And that was not just relying on referrals. It was actually in the sales process when people were doing a, a, a one week promotion at the gym, I was actually planting the seed that if they were inviting people into the gym at the time of their referral they get their first month free. So if you like what you see, you get it. So I have, uh, I would just say probably I, I really had a strong emphasis on an, you know, an actually active referral program rather than just saying we have a good product. Our business relies on referrals. I was actually doing things along the way to uh, actively promote um, referrals and give people rewards for doing that angry that way. Yeah. And then that would have led into the, the supplements and supplement business and stuff like that as well then too, wouldn't it? Well, I think at the time the supplement thing really come about because I started looking at the changes of the way business was done and the changes were at the time, social media started to be a serious thing, YouTube and Facebook in particular, Twitter. Um, and I thought, wow, you could actually do my, my business here really serves the local community. So I need to find something I can do more outside my community. So I said, what about if I use, build my contacts on social media and start selling things outside my, so it's, that sort of made sense to me at the same time, other technologies that started to change, we moved from the old brick phone that you could call and text people into a smart, its first smartphone in that time. We also started to get apps. So apps started to come about. Wi-Fi started to come out about. So my mind was racing after reading a book called The Next Millionaires. And The Next Millionaires is the five key areas from 2006 to 2016 where these new millionaires are going to be created. Online businesses, wellness businesses, distribution businesses because of the technology we could actually information businesses um and i thought wow i need to i need to play in those five key areas 
And that's really what led to me. So it was understanding trends and what was, you know, technology. We're probably moving into a new phase at the moment with a lot of AI conversation and a new trend um, happening in that space. And there'll be plenty of opportunities in that space as well. And talking about that and something that just jumped out to me too, I know that you've got, you've had a background in analysis and data analysis and statistics and things like that as well. So how did that sort of stuff play into that once you'd sort of discovered that those were the trends that were happening and then your analysis of statistics and all that sort of stuff? Like, how did you bring those things together? Oh, look, I mean, I I look at data and I just can see patterns and I can, you know, like even when I was at school, I was a maths and a science and a physics and that type of, I'm not, it wasn't very good at English and social science and all of those type of, uh, I guess, school subjects. So when I went into university, a lot of my stuff was in engineering and really looking at numbers and so on. My, my honors thesis was actually called making sense of census data. And that was pulling apart the entire census and actually building stories to effectively create legislation or, 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 or patterns. So I, I pulled apart the entire census for the state of Tasmania and I said, look, we've got aging populations here. These are the type of services that we need. So a lot of my thinking in life is really around logic, common sense, looking at numbers, uh, reading a story. So if somebody says to me, this is what's happening in the world. And I look at it and say, gee, that doesn't make much sense. You know, I, I can see that quite, quite easily. So when I was looking at opportunities, for example, similar sort of way it plays out, I'll look at trends and what's happening. And, you know, so I bought, for example, my first uh, Bitcoin in 2017 when Bitcoin was on its first real big run from a few hundred dollars to a few thousand dollars. And I, and I just looked at the concept and the story and the possibility. I wasn't going all in on that scenario, but I thought there's going to be a really big trend in this space in the future. And I'm not going to go and sell the house to go and buy a whole heap of stuff because as I wrote, if you want to go and look at two Facebook posts, a post I wrote in 2017, it was actually about, I love the idea of Bitcoin, but if you understand the macro economy, there's no way government, there's no way the banking system are going to let a people's bank run the world under a decentralized uh, model. So I, I guess my brain probably works that way, which is, uh, you know, uh, really, it's really logical. I just look at stuff and say, that makes sense. That doesn't make sense. You can see that pattern there. You can't see that pattern there and just really like draw the story from there. Yeah, which definitely ties in well to you know, what's happened over the last three years. And you've been somebody that has spoken about that a lot over the last three years. And it definitely has, you know, it's gone against the mainstream. It's gone against the narrative and it's also, it's ruffled some feathers and it's caused I know that it's been a, a difficult thing to 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 stand up and 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 share what you're seeing and question things publicly. What's that been like for you, particularly from a resilience perspective? When you you know you're copping a lot of flack for for sharing what you you're essentially sharing what you're seeing and questioning what you're seeing. Yeah, look, I mean, for me, you have to understand, Stacey, being a personal trainer for 15 years, I was Mr. Plain Vanilla. You, you don't want to like 
upset your clients. You don't talk about wars. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics because, you know, and, and you, I live by that. And um, I looked at this scenario. I was impacted by it quite heavily because I was traveling around the world, uh, usually 20 weeks a year. Um, I actually had trips booked to China, India, and the Philippines in that first phase of um, the, the, let's call it the COVID era. So I was really interested in what was happening at the time, but so I started like looking at the numbers straight away and what I saw straight away, I'm going, you're closing countries, you're doing this for, for something that's a flu-like symptom that's got a 99.9% recovery rate and really it's impacting the elderly. It's impacting people with two comorbidities. It's impacting people that, you know, that, there wasn't people dying under 70 typically at the time. So the numbers for me were not really adding up. And so I was in what, what we call in Australia, the two weeks to flatten the curve, which ended <laughs> up being two years to flatten the economy. Um, I was like really, you know, head deep in data and looking and breaking down and analyzing. So I got to a point where I was really comfortable with that. Then it was one night I was just sitting down. I was looking at my two kids at dinner and I said, you know what? this isn't right. This doesn't make any sense, you know, and, and the way we're going, if we close the economy, we're going to wreck the economy. We've been down this path before the global financial crisis. I've got two little kids. I, I, I would hate the, the fact that in 20 years time, if they were living enslaved in a, a system that wasn't work and they asked me, daddy, what did you do back in 2020 when all this really started blowing up? And I had to say nothing. Uh, that wouldn't have sat well with me. So I made a decision in June just to like, it was a, a simple post of, hey, this doesn't make any sense. The story to me looks a little bit like this. One plus one is equaling four and they're trying to sell a story, but we know one plus one equals two. And I just like put what I would call thought provoking commentary out there and, um, yeah, it was really against anything I'd ever done in my life. And people were, the way the mainstream was positioning the story, people, because of fear, were actually, you're, you're crazy, you're, you know, how dare you, you know, go against the government advice. And, you know, it was like quite, you know, I would some days wake up with, pretty awful things and then all of a sudden I started being a little bit more not aggressive but a little bit more hang on look at the data here this doesn't make any sense and 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 now we're not two weeks we're we're now in a 12-week lockdown and we're now you know and, and they're saying to us that if we go into a cafe we have to wear a mask until we sit down with a cup of water next to us but if we stand up we have to put our mask on you know you can uh, you can take your mask off if you've got a coffee cup in your hand, but you've got to wear a mask if you don't. You know, none of that makes any sense. And I was trying to find out, they're saying that this new procedure was safe and effective. I couldn't see any data to suggest that it was. Looking at the transmission, they were locking us down on transmission. There was no evidence of any transmission studies or anything like this. And I was looking at where all this funding and all these experts were popping up from. And um, I'm like, I'm looking at the money invested into the, and the grants invested into this. And I'm going, 
this is not a good situation. So I just become uh, more outspoken and um, I had to actually do a bit of a, a, what I'd call shake the apple tree of my list because there were a lot of people in my world that were not, you know, they weren't supportive of my stance, even though I could very clearly paint it out. So what I did at the time was I actually went and joined a mastermind with a, a group of uh, conscious uh, wealth creating leaders in America. There was 20 of us. So I was the only person from Australia and we do a call every week. It was quite a cleansing experience for me. Um, I'd always been in masterminds, but at the time I looked at purpose and I said, what am I good at? One thing was podcasts and interviewing people. Second, I was good at getting good guests. So I created a show called navigate the fog to thrive on the other side where I thought, Okay, people are not necessarily listening to me, but if I can bring experts onto there and ask all the questions that I want people to hear the answers to, maybe that will cut through. And I end up interviewing 30 pretty phenomenal guests that were really outspoken, lots of great credibility. And um, yeah, I had some episodes that were getting viewed and downloaded 30,000 times and, you know, it become a bit of a hit. And Three years later, it's sort of, we are where we are. Um, so that's a synopsis of that scenario. But if I had my time again, I wouldn't change a thing. I would still be outspoken. I would still challenge the status quo because I believe that topics that, uh, whether it's climate change, the voice, whether it's gender equality, whether it's, you know, anything that's, topical if the government and the mainstream media are selling you one side of the story it's time to sit back and have a helicopter view down and say let me look at all the facts let me look at all the data does that make any sense yes or no I, that's what i always say that the, the, the cliche out there that doesn't pass the pub test okay so i just run the pub test over every single thing and if it's been sold to me then you know, I need to look at it a little bit deeper. Yeah. And then now we're with a misinformation bill to try and stop any people questioning. So it's, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? Like three years ago, you even said about the one plus one thing. It's like, you know, when you go back and read 1984 and it's just so interesting, isn't it? That, you know, that if things are, are left unchallenged, then the absurdity of some of the stuff that people come to accept is quite alarming isn't it well for me look i would unfortunately for me i've been censored very heavily by a big tech probably now we know the government uh you know pushing big tech into that space and that's all come out in in you know the some of the senators uh freedom of information requests now and i've had to spend 90 days of time up to 10 times with my accounts taken down, the information that is now deemed correct. So I've had my social media wipe. I've had my credibility smashed. I've had, um, um, you know, I can't even use a platform properly anymore because people say, Craig, I actually have to search you to see your mm -hmm. content now. Um, 
So in a way, I, I, I sort of feel it's a, a form of discrimination. It's a form of, you know, like defamation of character in a way, like you, you credit, hang on, on uh, everything I've said is verifiable. And, um, you know, anyway, that's sort of where we are. And yeah, you're right. The, the Mistis information bill, I saw a phenomenal interview with um, presidential candidate, Robert Kennedy Jr., talking about this topic the other day. And he said, he's the first victim of what they call malinformation. And now information is truthful information on a platform that he's been deplatformed for actually putting that out there. So he said, they've created a new word to wipe him off the internet. Um, but because he's now going for the presidential candidacy, his, his speech should be free and protected. So the good, one of the best things about that is he may be able to cut through to the masses of a lot of things that to me is common sense conversation that he's bringing to the table. Yeah. It's, it's definitely refreshing to see. And, and with, and with all of that, like all of those personal attacks, the again, deplatformed, the impacts that would have had on your business from a, you know, keeping yourself in a good space and reducing stress and keeping resilient. Was there anything specific that you did? Um, I used to go for, you know, in our 300 days of lockdown, uh, it was traumatizing in lots of ways because I'm a free spirit. So for me, traveling around the world and, you know, basically treating the world as your oyster was like one of my highest values. And, and one thing that I say to people during that experience, it highlighted my values more than anything because of the traumatization where I felt like I was a bird in a bird cage. So I had a holiday house, an hour and 10 minutes drive from my house that I wasn't even allowed to go to. I'm going, that's my house. I can't even go to it. It's right by the beach. Um, but, uh, you know, I always say truth, love and freedom really just stood out like a sore thumb as my highest value, uh, the freedom to do what you want, when you want, with whoever you want, you know, love and compassion when we had the social distance, when we had to so, you know, the people were wearing masks and, and scared of each other. You know, we lost the love and compassion and truth. You know, the censorship of truth was really frustrating. So um, for our one hour a day, which I just took as long as I want, um, I would go for long walks and I would, I would uh, listen to really high quality podcasts. Overnight, I used to listen to peaceful music to help me get to sleep because your mind would race, you know, you would be going, you know, this is so obvious. Nobody can see it. And the government's trying to enslave us here at the moment and enforce more restrictions and not let kids go to parks. And if you went outside of five kilometers or if you went for a walk at 9 PM at night, all of a sudden you're a, a risk to society. Like none of that makes any sense. So it was quite frustrating. I was really frustrated uh, as well that, you know, the people would be just sitting up for the 11 a.m. news conference and you'd hear the chief health officer just talking about complete and utter nonsense and using bamboozling words saying, we're going to have to go into a snap lockdown at Thursday at 11.59 p.m. What, there's a virus that's either here or it isn't. Do it. You, we don't have to wait to then. And you go to a, a pub for your last supper, um, you know, before the, the next big lockdown, it would be completely and utterly full of people that just want to go out and, 
and have a meal before they go into another lockdown where the cafes are going to be, oh, it's just complete insanity. But the, the word frustrating was probably, probably, you know, I was highly frustrated and that brings on stress. And, you know, so self-care was a thing that really was, was required heavily. Having a purpose, I mentioned that podcast and keeping me working on a project was really important at that time and, and having conversations with like-minded people. So I probably talk on the phone for a good hour or two a day to people, maybe someone like yourself and just, you know, just have that conversation because we were um, put into uh, a situation where it was inhumane, you know, it was social distancing wearing masks. I get saddened by seeing somebody drive by himself now with a mask. I get saddened by people that are, you know, still walking with a, a 1.5 meter stick effectively in between you and them. And it, it really is something that, you know, I feel sorry for those people, to be honest. And and a big part of, for me, resilience, and we talked about support before, but the key part of that is is connection. And, you know, how important connection is with other people. And that's one of my resilience rocks is making sure that you are actively having that support with positive, encouraging people and putting rituals in place in order to foster that connection. And yeah, I know when, when things went down, then I opened a virtual drop-in center. I'm just like, you're telling people to keep apart, but we need to be connected more than ever. And so I opened up a Zoom room for half an hour a day, seven days a week for three months, just to go, hang on, let's, let's, let's actually connect. We need to connect more than ever. So it's interesting that you sort of touched on, on those things, but also that some of those, um, you know, behaviors have certainly had a lasting impact on people. So yeah, it's good to, to, to be wherever you can is, you know, is, is act actively connecting with people, isn't it? What, one of the things too was this is one of the biggest problems we have right now is we're always only seeing one side of a story. So I just say to people, keep an open mind, right, to anything. So for me, I was trying to stay informed. So at the time, if I was going to be out there trying to interview someone like Dr. Peter McCullough, who's the most researched doctor in the world, but highly ridiculed, even though he's got more published papers on COVID than anyone on the planet. Um, you know, I, I was trying to stay informed because one side of the story was not being told. Um, so during that phase, I wanted to know that, am I actually uh, getting the right information here or is there something I'm missing? Um, so, so at that time, it was, it was keeping an open mind that maybe what, you know, um, Premier Daniel Andrews or someone saying is not necessarily the truth um, and, uh, and just, yes, yeah, staying informed. Yeah. And look, you've done a good job of that and you've been a, done a great job of then, you know, disseminating the stuff that you've, you've uncovered as well. So, and I've really, I really have had a lot of um, admiration and respect for, the way that you've tackled this year and especially coming from, as you said, you came from being that person that was, you, know, you used the word vanilla and you weren't going to share any controversial topics in order to make sure that you weren't getting people offside in your business or anything like that. So it's, it's been admirable to see that journey over those years and just like I said, like just 
so many things, the setbacks in life, the setbacks in business, and then putting yourself out there and having those challenges. I think we can learn a lot from the way that you've approached all of these different challenges in your life. And um, I'd love to hear a bit more about like what, so, so where are things at for you now? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Uh, look, I mean, I have been traveling a little bit over the last 12 months. So back to trying to do that I, I, again, I'm, uh, it's, uh, I haven't enjoyed traveling as much and I haven't as looked forward to it. And I think some of it is, um, unfortunately, um, blowback from the COVID era. Um, so my last four international trips have had eight hour plane delays, canceled flights a day before flying. Uh, my recent one, my flights just kept getting canceled for three days in a row. Um, and I've had a couple of five hour layovers. This is all in the last 12 months. And I've only made two planes in Singapore purely because there's 20 people on the plane um, to go on to the next one. Like otherwise it was past the departure. And it's like anyone that's on the flight back to Melbourne needs to get straight to the gate. So I haven't enjoyed the travel situation as much, but have been traveling a bit again. I've uh, been doing a few speaking gigs. Uh, still looking out there, looking for, you know, to empower businesses, entrepreneurs, people when speaking. A podcast, I've got about 30 episodes I'm about to release. I've interviewed some phenomenal guests on that. Um, I have written another book, which I start the chapter one is if you're reading this, we're back here again, um, which is <laughs> mentioned the book 1984. Um which I actually wrote a, a book about, you know, the COVID era and common sense and critical thinking and why decentralization versus centralization is important. I cover topics and verify and validate things with statistics, with conversations I've had on my shows, with evidence that we now know that's verifiable uh, without any doubt. Um, but I, I'm not necessarily planning on releasing that unless we go back into that darkness again. And it's re really written as a, a manuscript or a blueprint or a book that, uh, that people can go, gee, wow, we are literally, you know, repeating history again. Uh, so it'll be, hopefully it never sees a light of day. Um, uh, I'm uh, launching into a couple of new business ventures as well and uh, actually been learning how to trade on the stock market. So during the COVID era, when we're in lockdown, there was things that I wanted to learn. So I was uh, a, a hobby guitarist many, many years ago. So I, I looked to redo that. So there's sort of like always trying to develop and learn new skills and um, yeah, I've been studying of late how to read, uh, stock market charts and so on. And yeah, it looks a bit of fun and opportunity on that space as well. Wow. There's so much there. And I love that you mentioned reacquainting yourself with, with your guitar, because music is definitely part of this resilience rocks part. Talking about the, you know, the resilient um, music is just such a you can change your state in you know three to five minutes through the course of a song and so I've actually curated a playlist on Spotify called Resilience Rocks and it's just filled with songs that if you're in one of those moments where you need a bit of a lift you need to 
re-rejig the energy, get yourself in a good space, fire yourself up perhaps for a sales call or things like that. So I'd love to know what's your go-to song. If you need to do that for yourself, what's your go-to? Just on that, you mentioned, uh, I'll I'll actually just say it's a really important thing during the lockdown period where there was a lot of darkness and mental health and struggle and everything. We we kept, we protect, our kids were quite young at the time. Um, we protected them quite heavily for sort of understanding what was really going on. But one of the things that I used to do with my daughter who likes dancing and singing and so on, we used to play daddy disco, you know, at five o'clock at night and have a bit of a dance and a sing and put YouTube, you know, music on YouTube where there's a film clip and so on. But um, we used to listen to a bit of Coldplay uh, and just more nearly concert style versions rather than the ones, you know, so you'd actually see the atmosphere. So one of my favorite um, is Fix You in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And would always play that. And there'd be, there'd have to be a hundred thousand to 150,000 people in a stadium. But it used to really touch my emotions because we were living in this sanitized society. Whereas in this stadium, there's a phenomenal performance and everyone was just hugging each other and having such a good time. And that was also the song we played um, at my son's funeral where I was walking down the, um, you know, the, I guess the aisle or carrying a coffin type of thing. And that was the the song we played. So like that there, if I listened to that song and I'd, I'd probably play that two or three times a night during that period. And uh, Zoe and I would just, you know, dance and sing and it was called, we called it daddy disco. So, but uh, that's what we, we would do of a night. So I'm a big, I, I do love music. I've been to a lot of concerts, but I wouldn't say I'm, super passionate to go to concerts I just go to it because I like them. It's interesting it's the concerts were something I missed so much over the last few years but I, I found myself I haven't really gotten back into them as much as I did but you know the connection to music is just so important so I will um, add that version of Fix You the live version from Sao Paulo and I will look that up on Spotify I will add it to the playlist in your honor. So thank you so much for contributing that. And I've just really loved our conversation. And I think this would be something that it'd be good to come back and revisit and dig into in in, in depth on more aspects of sales and resilience and, and just your experiences and perspectives. If people would like to um, continue the conversation beyond here with you, where's the best place for people to connect with you? Um, look, just my name, Craig Schultz. Uh, so you that in the show notes, craigschultz.com is where my main hub is, uh, the oneshopmovement.com as well. I have a website for that, which just has my book and a lead into my podcast there. If you like great conversations as well, I have a podcast, the One Shop Movement podcast. I've interviewed some pretty phenomenal people. You've been a, a great guest on that show yourself. So find Stacey's story on there as well. Um, but yeah, if you... Uh, yeah, LinkedIn's probably my business channel I use. So not just my name on LinkedIn, my Facebook channel has been completely and utterly obliterated from censorship. So if you like activism type of conversation, you can follow me on Facebook, but I'm not sure how long I'll survive there. Yeah. That's probably all the places you can find me. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. And I definitely recommend getting a copy of the book. Um, it's a fantastic read. 
and the podcast. I, I definitely immersed heavily in the podcast and definitely recommend that too. So thanks again for coming and joining us and, and sharing today. And until the next episode of Resilience Rock Sales, be your best. Thanks for joining us again this week on Resilience Rock Sales. Don't just listen though, take action. The best sales professionals are always learning. Head over to resiliencerocks.com now to go backstage and get the resources mentioned today to help rock your sales goals. Mm-hmm.